welcome to episode 18 of Unsweetened and Unfiltered. Did you do anything this weekend, Zaina? I didn't, and I'm very happy that I did it. So you just basically bummed it out? I, well, not really bummed it out, but it was like the first weekend I had at home and had nothing to do like outside of the apartment. So I did some things around the house and just chilled, yeah. Honestly, I felt like I needed just like a unwinding session. Where you didn't have to put makeup on, fix your exactly. hair, none of that. Well, I love that. I did that on the weekdays. Um, last week because I had to work from home and I worked from home back to back. Wola was the best because I went to the gym both nights. Didn't have to wash my hair until like the next, <laughs> you know, like till the weekend, which was nice. No makeup, nothing. It was so freeing and it was it's, so relaxing. Yeah, it's so nice just to like know that you don't have anything planned. Like yeah. you're just chilling. I do want to give a little birthday shout out to my best friend, Jahan Swice. I love this girl. Yes, I do too. I met her because of you, obviously, but she's incredible. She's yeah. so supportive and I fell in love with her like the moment I met her. Yeah, her birthday was this past Monday and it was just interesting like we were all we all like planned it and everything like that and it was like nice to just sit around a table and realize like wow we're growing old together like quotation marks old because we're really not <laughs> but it's nice to like live your life through the like the support of your friends and the way like I mean I'm blessed to have two amazing sisters that I was born with and everything and those will always be my best friends but then it's nice how like God always also does bless you with other people in your life in your life and those people are the ones that you choose to have in your life yeah They're not like born into your life exactly and I'm I don't know I just like I don't want to sound like cheesy but I'm really blessed with the friends that I have and like I'm telling you like I know it's so cliche when we say oh my best friends are the ones that pick up my 2 a.m calls and whatever but these girls like they're it's very hard to vent to people and for them to not pass judgment on you or to not actually listen to you. Like these girls actually like give you great advice and they, they make sure they listen to me. They make sure they pick up all my calls and we pick up each other's calls. And even for like Jan's birthday, I'm so stupid. I literally forgot my heels and I'm like, okay, this is a birthday dinner. I need to wear heels. <laughs> so I'm already in the city and everything. I'm like, oh my God, what an idiot. And Nadia, I like texted Nadia. I'm like, you know what? Either she can say yes or no. And I should have never doubted her because this girl's always she a always, yes. Nadia goes out of her way. And we're talking about Nadia Atala. Yes. And she's incredible. I love Nadia. I she's love actually her. like my cousin-in-law and I love her so yeah, much. Yeah. And that's why I text her. I'm like, girl, you know me. I lost my mind. Can you please pick up my heels from... It's my she parents' house without like without a doubt like she's like yes 100 yeah. i got you she's like, i'm gonna be in the city by five o'clock you'll have your heels done i'm like you're amazing because it's like out of your way to have to go to my parents house pick up my heels and then bring them to me to the yeah. city i mean we all went out to dinner and everything but still it's like it's just nice to have those type of girlfriends that pick it up is. your heels when you forget them like that's what i'm trying to say like it's just it's a blessing to have girlfriends and i am i'm just that type of girl because there's people that they sometimes get in relationships. They don't care for girlfriends anymore. They or they don't have time for them. Like I feel like I can't be that type. Yeah, I always need my girlfriends and teach their own. Everybody. Yeah, no, has and their I own. think it's healthy to have. Yeah, that. it's healthy to have those people that you can turn to even though you have like a separate life. You know, you have your work life, your marriage life, but you still need your friends because there's only so much you could talk to like personally with your husband or your spouse like you know what I mean you need it's, your girlfriend different to kind understand. of conversation yeah, yeah and it was definitely. a nice birthday we went out to eat dinner and everything and you know what we're at the point where like there's not much else to do out here so we went and crashed at Nadia's and we had yeah. a nice hookah night and just chilled and talked about everything and just and those are the best they yeah. are when I know like I can just literally crash and just chill and not have to like oh we have to drive to the next yeah. spot and whatever no it was really really nice so we have some unfiltered advice that uh 
our listener wants us to answer. So do you want to read the yeah. question? So she said that a friend of mine is talking or has been talking to someone for a while and she only just found out. So she said, basically, I don't care that she's kept it to herself. She's like, I've actually always known she's the type to do so. And I admire that. But I found out recently that this guy is much older than her. And knowing my friend, I don't think that's a good idea. I've advised her to talk to him about where she wants to be in the future to make sure that they're on the same page, given how they're in different stages in their lives. So she's like, I'm just wondering what you would do in the same situation. And if you think I crossed the line by telling her that the age gap should be something she's more concerned with. She's like, I get ages in a number, blah, blah, blah. But I honestly think that in our culture, an age gap means a lot more than in what like, the Western culture perceives it to be. Um, I'm on the fence about this. Same. Okay, so there's seven years between me and my husband, and I don't see that as like a big age gap. There is? Yeah. I Six or seven years, that. yeah. Yeah, never and, um, that. So I just don't see that as a big age gap. I think, you know, I think every scenario is different, though, because I know some of my friends who I couldn't, couldn't imagine them with someone 10 years older than them because I just know what kind of person they are. But also, if this person likes the guy she's talking to and if they've been talking for a while, then obviously I think they're past that age that age gap. But I think having that conversation of, hey, like, I'm 23 and you're, you know, 38, like, yes, there's a lot going on and we're at different points in our life. But as long as the end goal is the same, then I don't really see it as that big of a deal. Like, I see what she's trying to say. She wants to make sure that her friend stays true to her authentic self and pursues her dreams or passions or whatever they are without this guy influencing her to change or anything like right. that. Because sometimes when it comes to age gaps, it depends on the age when it comes to the age gaps. Because you could be 30, marrying a 40-year-old, and you're both mature and you've already experienced right. life. But if you're, like, maybe a 19-year-old girl marrying somebody, like, that's 29... As a 19-year-old girl, you still haven't even finished college. So right. you're still experiencing life. You're still growing. So that's, I think, where the friend is worried about. Then I feel like if that's the case, then you should express concern, but do it in a way that's, like, friendly and not, like, overbearing or, like, I know better than you do, so you have to listen to me. Be like, hey, like, hey, does he know that you want to finish school? Or, hey, does he know that, like, your dream is to do blah, blah, blah? And I think approaching it in that way will be better perceived by your friend than just being like, hey, I don't think it's a great idea that you're, you're talking to someone that's, like, way older than you. Because there's just certain boundaries with friends. You never want to come off as that friend that's, making you feel like guilty for the decisions that you've made in your life but at the same time you do want to be that good friend that kind of shows your friend things that maybe she hasn't seen with her own eyes because sometimes you know love is blind yeah and everything but if all she sees is wrong is the age gap then i would probably not bring it up to her anymore if he ends up being a good guy and lets her do what she wants to do then call us like it is what it is you know what exactly. i mean let it, it let it, it pan is. out on its own and see what happens from there yeah, and like I said, if they've been talking for a while, hopefully they're past that age thing. Hopefully mm -hmm. they can see past the, the numbers. So, um, yeah, I mean, if you do feel like it's necessary, have that conversation, but do so in a way that's, like, friendly and, and supportive. Supportive, I think definitely very, very supportive because I think that's, like, the most important thing when it comes to friendships and everything like that. You want that supportive friend, not that other mom figure that's nagging you or anything like that. You definitely don't want that. Absolutely. No, absolutely. So let's just jump into our next guest for today's episode. 
Her name is Leah Vernon. She's a style blogger, plus size model, public speaker, and activist. She's actually also appeared in BuzzFeed, Huffington Post, L17, just to name a few. And she's also been on podcasts, ours too as well. Um, she's had television appearances and everything. So she's worked with national and international brands such as like Adidas, Lane Bryant, Torrid. She's done it all. She's done it all. And I feel like in this episode, we talk about so much. Like, and it's just touching base on like everything she's been able to go through and come out on and still be like the person she is today without having her traumas and the things that, you know, have affected her in her childhood, like really take a toll on who she is as an adult. Yeah, she did face a lot of trauma dealing with issues with her, both her parents, her mental health, her marriage that turned into a divorce, the dancing video that went viral. And of yes. course, everybody has something to say about that. And being a plus size model on Instagram in like today's very photoshopped, you know, day and age. So we talk about a lot and I feel like I left this episode feeling really inspired about just being my authentic self and not having to conform to what others perceive as like beautiful or you know instagram worthy i'm just glad that there isn't a 140 character uh, restriction on instagram because i love her captions yes i do too and i love like she literally just just she's so true to herself and to her story and she expresses how she really feels that day or how her mental breakdown took a toll on her today and everything like that so very I, honest very open yeah and i think that's why uh, so many people love her and follow her so can't wait to dive into this episode but before we do you guys make sure that you um stick around we always like to digest after the episode and just give a you the listeners our personal thoughts on what we just talked about with our amazing guests so let's dive in let's do it This episode is sponsored by FabFitFun. FabFitFun is a women's lifestyle subscription box filled with full-size, premium beauty, lifestyle, fitness, home, and tech products sent straight to your doorstep each season. They take the hassle out of shopping by doing it for you. And each box is customized to your specific interests. And they deliver the seasonal must-haves all the time, whatever you need. I'm actually a huge fan of FabFitFun because it helps me discover new products that easily find their way into my daily routines and also a place on my vanity. In previous boxes, I've received the Murad Renewing Eye Cream and the Tarte Light Camera Lashes Mascara. And since I've received them, I am constantly rebuying those products. But as an adult, we don't get many surprises in the mail. So when you sign up for this amazing membership and when like the fall season comes, cause this is for the fall season and you're just gonna be surprised with this care package sitting at your doorstep and it has like the full size items, which I love because not a lot of these memberships come with full size items. And I feel like you definitely need them to be able to really experience the product. And like you said, each box is customized to our specific needs and interests. So I know that I'm getting products that I'm going to love and use. If you want to customize your box, you can go ahead and do that online. Or if you want them to surprise you and just put it together for you, you can also do that. Yeah, so either way, you're getting products that obviously are great because they're name brand products. Yeah, and I'm a huge fan of exfoliating my skin. So I love the Kate Somerville exfoliator for your face. When it says it's like a facial for your face, a five minute facial, it really is. And I really, really love it. And I, I'm like such a fan of like Kate Somerville and I like how everything 
packaging just like feels so nice and fresh after I use their product. But again, it's not something I would have run out to the store and got other than Bad Pet Fun introducing me to exactly because you are discovering products that you normally wouldn't have tried out, and that's what's really important about this box and about Bad Pet Fun in general. Because you're not just getting beauty products and makeup; you're getting tech and you're getting home supplies and you're getting literally everything that you need. It's a wellness subscription. Yeah. That's what I like about it. And your girls, Zayna and I, have a coupon code for you ladies, which is gonna be unsweetened. And with this coupon code, you get $10 off your first box and you can sign up for your first box at www.fabfitfun.com. And the 2019 Fab Fit Fun Fall Box is now on pre-sale. Just a reminder, you guys, it retails for $49.99, but always has a value of more than $200. Yeah, because it comes with like full-size beauty, fitness, and fashion lifestyle products, you guys. You're not getting samples here. You're getting full-size beauty products and wellness products. So just as a reminder, our code is unsweetened, fully spelled out, for $10 off your first box at www.fabfitfun.com. Once your file box comes, let us know, take pictures, and share what your favorite products are with us. Thank you, Leah, for joining us today. We know you have such a busy, busy schedule. You have such an eccentric personality, and we love it so much. But I want to give our listeners a little background into your childhood and what made you into the woman that you are today. I grew up Muslim. My mom converted when I was younger. And so um, it was very interesting. <laughs> As you read in the book, it was very, very interesting. We, I, I guess it's funny you just said that I'm kind of eccentric because I get that also from my mom. And um, we'll probably get more into that. But yeah, I'm excited to talk to you guys about this book and a little bit of background on me is that I am um, hijabi, professor hijabi influencer. I am a new author of Unashamed, Musing for the Fat Black Muslim, and um, I'm a freelance writer as well. So I do a lot of different creative things. So let's get into the fact that you became Muslim. You were not born Muslim because your mom converted when you were, what, six years old? How did that go? And how was your, how did the lifestyle of your mom impact your own upbringing and how you view the world and who you are today? My mom had a very tumultuous childhood. It was very, very interesting. And I don't necessarily think that she got the proper help, which is why I'm such an advocate for like men, like just mental health and just kind of dealing with that because the people who are going to read the book and read the story of like my mother and like how I went through similar mental issues and then how I kind of broke that cycle. It was very interesting because she never really, I don't believe that. I mean, she told us that she really didn't necessarily believe in Christianity, even though her family was like, you know, not, they weren't hardcore Christians, but they were, you know, Baptist go to church sometimes type of individuals. And she just said that she never really believed in that. She felt like there was something more. And so she did find Islam. And she was also going through her, her own worldly situations. And so it was interesting to have like this very Muslim side, but also your mom still is, is out here in the streets being a thug. And <laughs> so it's very interesting to have that, that juxtaposition. And I kind of grew up with this very juxtaposed life, I feel like, which also... It shaped me, but at the same time, it 
cause a lot of identity issues, which I'm sure we're going to get more into. Definitely. Definitely. When you are at a young age, when you kind of don't have that choice and it's like you weren't born Muslim, you had to convert to being Muslim, which kind of brings us into the fact that how your mom kind of raised you, it became like she was very strict. It was like a strict household upbringing where there's certain clothes you had to wear. And when it came to like your hijab, did you feel like she like created like a bubble, like a very controlled like environment when it came to you and your siblings? Absolutely. We yeah. were, yeah, we were homeschooled. I know I've never been to a public school or private school or any type of school setting. So I was like straight homeschool up to 16 when I graduated. And my older sister, she actually did go to school for a couple grades. And then she just pulled a, her out and was like, I'm homeschooling my kids because I feel like she did have a good. So I, I do want to give her some credit because like public schools and schools are kind of messed up sometimes. And she had her own experiences with like public schooling and how she felt it failed her. I do get that part, but on the other end, I feel like she homeschooled us because she wanted us to be in her own bubble. And this is like just my opinion um, and the opinion on some of my siblings. Uh, she'd probably say differently, but I do feel like she wanted to kind of like protect us, AKA kind of shelter us from the world. And so, and we did grow up very kind of, I, I would say sheltered. Absolutely. Because I think you said like you've seen your mom go through so much or she's gone through so much in her life. She didn't want her own children to go through that. But it almost became like an almost unhealthy environment to kind of shelter you guys so much from the outside world. Like how do you even like grow up and see the world now for yourself? It's completely different than what you imagined. Yeah, um, it was difficult because I mean, I had friends. So what she did kind of to and this is not um, I probably should have added this in a book, but it's not in there. She put us in Taekwondo Oh wow! When we, were, when we were like maybe, I mean, I think I was like 10. Uh, I actually wanted to do cheerleading, but she was just like, that's not practical. And I, you know, Muslim girls can't dress like that. So you can't do cheerleading. You need to do something practical. And I was like, so hurt. So I was like, I want to do like cheerleading. I want to do something like, cause like I like to dance. I'm very like, you know, drama. And I like to be in front of the camera in front of the, yeah. And she's like, you have to do Taekwondo. And I was like, so mad about it. So. Uh, because she wanted us to get socialization, but just structured socialization. So I feel like a lot of our socialization was like structured. Um, we weren't allowed to like maybe just jump into some something. And I do believe that it protected us from certain things because like some of my friends have definitely experienced things that they probably shouldn't have, <laughs> the Muslims and the non-Muslims. So, so there's like this weird like, okay, was it is it really good to do this or was it too extreme? You know, it's always that as a parent, I think. I think as a parent, like to a certain extent, they should like shelter us and protect us and everything like that. But like I said, to a yeah, certain when extent. it becomes too much, I think it kind of becomes like, detrimental to that person. Like once they grow up, they're not going to know how to like navigate the world because they're so, so sheltered. How was your relationship with your dad? How was that? If you want to talk about that, because I feel like it did help shape you into who you are. I know there's like a lot to digest when it comes into that and unwrap and unravel, but overall like what was your relationship with your dad like yeah that's that's like that was like like a whole like 16 hour session <laughs> <laughs> so just for clarification your dad wasn't muslim right your mom was but your no. dad wasn't okay yeah so um my dad is a very interesting character and i used to always hate when people say that i look like him like i absolutely hate that he is probably the least favorite person 
next to another person uh, mm-hmm. in the world. I'm not going to name the other person because I don't want to be petty. Yeah. yeah, he is very, I don't know, he is just very, the relationship with him, all I can remember when I was younger is him fat shaming me and just basically being really emotionally abusive. Like a lot of my memories are not, unfortunately, not very good with him. Even when he was, my mom would force him to like do stuff like daddy daughter time. He would still like find a way to make it a bad experience. And a lot of those bad experiences are in the book. Um, but the fat shaming was pretty normal. His stepchildren were straight sides and I was like very chubby and just very, I remember him like constantly feeding me and asking me if I was hungry and wanting to give me food. Uh, and unfortunately, sneaking pork in to my food, my mom said, like, we do not eat it and basically went off on her one time because he was just so mad that, you know, he would call us crazy Muslims and your mom's crazy because she's Muslim and you're always eating that, um, like, dumb Muslim food and would try to, like, give me pork. Just, like, really just evil things like that. Like, that's not even... You can agree with, you know, my mother being Muslim and, and me choosing to be Muslim or whatever the case may be, but just... Doing stuff like that is really heinous to me. It was totally unnecessary. And I just have really bad memories of him for a long time until, you know, I had to end up just being like, I think I was like 19. I was like, I just don't want to deal with that anymore. What was the final reason why you decided not to deal with it anymore? Because as a child, to deal with somebody who is commenting about your weight, because there's parents that will yeah. comment about your weight, but there's like a constructive way to go about it. But he was, like you said, fat shaming you. He was not agreeing with the religion that you chose, you and your mother chose and everything. Why at 19 did you feel like that was the last straw? Like, what was the last straw? I mean, the last straw, I think, was me having him stealing my, um, you know, my school money. And I would think I was like 17 when he did that because I was in college. Um, no, I was like, no, I was actually, I'm sorry. I was 19 when he stole the money. It was somewhere between 17 and 19. And this is like a tuition reimbursement or something? Yes. Okay. Yes, it was tuition reimbursement. I had to fight tooth and nail just to get him to give me the information to even apply for it because it was through his job. It took absolutely nothing on his part to just give me the information. And I had to like, sift through like old um paperwork from child support to get his birth date and his social security number to um file it he wouldn't even give me that and as soon as i you know found the information and applied um he basically i didn't know the the money was going to be sent to in his name i thought it was going to be sent to me and so i'm checking for it like i literally and this was a time where gas was like at an all-time high Mm -hmm. it was like almost five dollars just to like like a gallon and so I was struggling. Like there was times in college where I had to choose between like textbooks and toothpaste and sanit- like pads and tampons or a meal. That's how broke I was. It's not like he needed the money. It was you that needed the money. It's not like yeah. you're taking money away from your parents or you're not helping your parents. No. And that that really like I, all the years of abuse, all the years of the name calling and just acting crazy and being super negative towards me and my mother that was like the last straw for me. Like it just, it just ended really badly. And um, I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like it's unnecessary. It's unwarranted. It's not like he ever showed you love on and off again. It's not like he was dealing with his own troubles or like, let's just say abuse issues or anything like that, that he couldn't find time for you. It's he chose willingly not to support you as his daughter. Is that how you felt? 
Yeah, I mean, like looking like as an I feel like as an adult, you get more information about what really happened during these times. And so at the time, I was just really mad at him, didn't understand it. And then fast forward, like, you know, my family was like, well, your mom, you know, it wasn't a one sided thing. And I'm not putting I'm not saying he's a good person at all because he's literally evil. Um, But my mother also maybe didn't handle certain situations properly either when it came to him. So I'm not going to say, oh, you know, it's 100 percent him. It's maybe 80. But still, he chose to put his anger and his frustration out from my that he experienced from my mother on me. And that's when it becomes an issue because I didn't ask to be here. I didn't ask to be born. And I always told them both that. Like, I don't think you guys understand. Like, I didn't ask to be here. And so this is a choice that you two made, whether it was you guys wanted it and it was a mistake. Whatever the case may be, I don't care. But, like, you brought a human being onto this planet. And so deal with it. But whatever it is, it's a human being that you created. And, like, my mom used to hate when I said that. But it's like, I didn't choose to be here. So deal. So whatever comes with having a child, like, deal with it. Right. And I think it's so common and also very, very disappointing when the kids get caught in like the crossfire when like their parents are divorced or going through that those issues. It's mostly the kids that have to go through that hardship, even though the parents don't realize what they're doing at that moment. They're putting the kids in such a terrible situation. How did you feel like I mean, you were you're vying for his love. You were trying to you're, the best way you knew how you wanted that relationship with your dad but as a young child how does that affect you knowing that your dad doesn't want a relationship with you did you even understand that as a young child or were you just not you finally understood that at, at an older age yeah as a child I had no idea that that like me being um, I mean basically forced I felt like I was forced upon him in a lot of ways especially with that one story about the Cedar Point trip and I feel like that was years of my mom being like, hey, like, you have a daughter over here, you know, like, you take care of your stepchildren, but you have a daughter over here, too, who also wants to go to Cedar Point, who also wants to do cool things with the family. And just years of, like, kind of overhearing that conversation and him just being like, ah, I guess so. And just that whole, when I became a teenager, that's when it really hit me that he doesn't really want to deal with you. Maybe he doesn't love you. Maybe you did something wrong. It was very, oh, I thought I did something. And then as I got married and having to deal with those type of issues and start learning more about the psychology of like the, the psychology of human beings and how they work. And I was like, you know what? I don't think it was you. I think it was him and the traumas that he sustained and it had nothing to do with you. You just got caught in the crossfire. Exactly. And I, I just feel like, this trauma at at such a young age kind of like trickled over to who you were and the things that you had to deal with when you were growing up as like a young woman and the potential guys that you would meet that you wanted a future with, it kind of affected your relationships with the male sex. And of course we want to jump into your marriage, which ended up, like I always say, first comes marriage, then comes divorce. I mean, not always, yeah, not always. <laughs> but in your situation. Did you feel like when you were trying to find a partner to, you know, marry, that you were trying to fill a void that your father kind of left behind? You know, your father wasn't really that male figure in your life. Maybe you were trying to find someone who could fill that. Yeah, so my mom was married a lot, a lot of times. <laughs> she was married a lot of times. And so, and this is like just me and some of my siblings too. We just, 
when you, when you grow up like that, when your mom has like a lot of husbands, it's just very damaging. Like it is very, very damaging. Um, you don't really know how to like act towards really the opposite sex because you're just like, like you don't have time to process what's going on and you don't understand why it's going on. But then it becomes normal in a very weird way. And then we start seeing the after effect of each and every divorce or each and every dude that leaves, then you start to figure out your own that this is something that I never want to do. But then on top of that, you start getting like this really weird outer layer of like hate. And so at a very young age, I just really started hating all my mom's husbands, including like my own father that I was kind of like teetering on. And I was like, I just hate all of them. Like they all use, they all abuse, they all just want to have children with you and then leave. They're all bums or all this. And so from an early age, I was just like, never, no marriage, none of that. I don't want to have children. I don't want to ever get married. I don't want to even deal with them. And so, of course, when you're younger and all your friends have little boyfriends, you're just like, mm, well, maybe it's just, you know, maybe I should like try. And then I'm not sure. I think subconsciously, I probably was trying to find fill a void. But at the same time, it's just like, I didn't really know what it meant to be married. I didn't know what it meant to have like someone love you. I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't, I didn't see anything healthy. So I didn't know what I was looking for. I mean, you had these men around because like you guys are five kids and each child had a dad. Is that correct? Yes. So you were like exposed to the males, like the male sex and what you know, you've seen the father figures, but at the same time it felt like, no, there was no father figure. So right. it is a little confusing to not feel that tender love and care from a dad. But at the same time, you do see these men that you, your mom is married to, but then it ends up being a divorce. Yeah. And, and so you don't have like an, a healthy example of what like a marriage actually looks like. Yeah. I never, I mean, even to this day, cause a lot of my Unfortunately, a lot of my friends have grown up in similar situations. And so we're all just really, I mean, I don't want to say screwed, but a lot of us have really bad, have been in bad situations with men um, and women. And it's, it's very sad to see like how our like parents kind of messed us up in that way. And it's hard to unlearn. It's really hard to unlearn. But the only, me and my sister made a pact, me and my older sister. And the pact was we would never get married like my mother, we would never get married that many times ever. Knowing that that's where I come from, I had to consciously make a decision. You cannot do that. You, you cannot do that. So you're not getting married yet. I don't care how many Muslims tell you that you need to get married right after your divorce. No, I'm not do. I'm not, I don't need married three and four times. How did your marriage like end up in a divorce? Like what went wrong to the point where you were like, I'm going to get a divorce where you didn't stick it out. Like we basically grew up together. I met him when I was, I want to say 17, and we ended up getting married at 19. So we got married very early. And I would tell, what, what I've learned from that is don't get married young. And I'm not just saying that because I'm divorced. Even when I was married, I'd always tell girls don't get married young. And I think now, I know in the Muslim community, there's always a push for girls and boys to get married super young. And it is the worst thing you can possibly do because you have no idea who you are. You're both trying to play house and you don't even know what a house looks like, how it's built. You don't have any of the answers. And unfortunately, I thought I had all the answers. He thought he had all the answers and we got married and 
it was very difficult in the beginning, but it was workable. I felt like it was workable. We just kind of, we got comfortable. You know how you're like, you're in something and you, you know, kind of like, it's not good for you anymore, but you're just like, I already put like two years in and then it just kept going. Like, oh, I put like four years in. So I'm going to try to stick it like, oh, I put six years in. And so it just, you keep justifying foolishness. And I do want to say that I am not an angel. So I think a lot of times when we talk about divorce, it's always very one-sided. And I hope that the book didn't come off as, because we did a lot of editing and stuff like that. But I don't, I don't want people to think like, oh my God, Leah V's husband was like trash. And she was just like, you know, it was 100% him, 0% her. No, we both had a hand in what happened, especially all the way up until the divorce. Now, the emotional abuse and the cheating, unfortunately, that happened. And a lot of people don't know exactly how it went down. So I think the book does a pretty good job at explaining the logistics of how that happened. I think what was a turning point in our relationship was that when I started getting therapy and started getting better and learning how to deal with my anger and learning how to deal with having another person who was stagnant, because that's what he was, unfortunately. He was stagnant. And he was stagnant for a long time. And I was like, that's fine. That's just who he is. And making excuses for it. Or maybe I'm too, you know, maybe I'm, I'm too much. And he's the normal one. Because he, that's what he was pumping into my head, right? That was what the community is pumping, pumping into my head. Like, okay, because you're too much, that's why your husband does A, B, and C. If you just stop doing that, it should be fine. And so I went to therapy and was in therapy for a good amount of time. And I started to change. And I didn't think that that was possible. But my therapist told me, and I, I remember this, she said she would always ask me about him. Because, like, I went to therapy a, a lot because of him and what was going on. And she's like, I'll, one time, one day I asked her, I'm like, you always ask me about, like, you always ask me about him. Like, I told you we, we were okay. Like, why do you always ask me about him? And she's like, Leah, sometimes in relationships, when one person gets help and they start to change for the better, the other person who is very codependent on that toxic behavior starts to go the other way. And I didn't understand that until after the fact. And I'm like, wow, that's what was happening. So when I started getting better, he started getting worse. And when he became worse than, I, than I'd ever seen, then that's what ultimately led to the, the divorce. So how does that work? Like, so if like, so should he have also gotten help and then that would have worked if both of you guys got the help, then the marriage would have worked. But if one person's just getting the help and the other person's still in that same environment, then it'll, it'll only get worse. Is that what your therapist was saying? Basically, especially if it's like a codependent relationship where somebody's depending on you to be toxic or someone's depending on you to be any of the like extremes. If someone depends on you and they're used to that, then when you change, it's like, what, what else do I have to live off of? Like, what do I have to leech off of? And unfortunately, that's what he was leeching off of was my negativity, my anger, my, my outbursts. And when that slowed down, like he even told me one time, he, um, he had done something really, really messed up. And usually if he did something messed up and I was cooking, I'd be like, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm just going to go in the room. Like, I'm not cooking. I'm not finishing the food. I'm not doing anything. And he did something really, really messed up. Like it was like, we were like at the end, like almost divorced. 
And I continued to make the food and I served him and I gave him a napkin and poured some juice. And he's like, are you okay? I was like, I'm fine. He's like, why are you being so nice right now? And I said, honestly, the reason why I'm doing this is so that when we get divorced, you have nothing to say about me. You have nothing to say because it's like, I don't want, I don't even, I don't even want any of that negativity anymore. And it was just, it was really interesting. Like I wanted to leave that divorce with some sort of dignity. How, how has this shaped your idea of like marriage now after dealing with something like that? I mean, dealing with a trauma when you're young, dealing with this trauma of a divorce, like how has this shaped your idea of marriage? Is this something that you're still open to or are you just like legit taking a break right now until you feel like it's the right time? Because at this point, you still haven't witnessed a healthy relationship yeah. from your childhood, even going into your adulthood. In September, it'll be a three three-year anniversary of me getting divorced. Wow. And yeah, I didn't know we'd make it this far. (laughs) It feels like it's been such a long time, but it also has not been a long time because I was with them for so long, like almost a decade. And where I'm at right now, because I never really, unfortunately, believed in marriage prior to getting married. And so I definitely, and I think a lot of Muslims cringe when I say this, I definitely don't believe in marriage now. I don't believe in it because I haven't really seen something that was like, wow, like that's what I aspire to be like, you know, like this guy and this girl right here. Like I'd love to be like that one day. I haven't seen that kind of love and I haven't seen that kind of relationship where it just wasn't, it wasn't hard. I, I don't, I feel like love and relationships shouldn't be hard. Like my friendships that I have, whether I've met someone two years ago or 10 years ago, it's not difficult to be with them or to be around them. I know like relationships are different and marriage and like girlfriend, boyfriends are like, it's a little different than that, but it shouldn't be that difficult to be with somebody. It shouldn't be like I'm pulling like teeth out. You're getting tortured. It shouldn't be that much to be with someone. I don't want to struggle with that anymore. Like I have my own internal things that I'm working on and I don't need to add another dudes to that, to, to the to the internal struggle and the artist and entrepreneur struggle that I'm already doing. So right now, unfortunately, I don't believe in marriage. I'm not open to it at all. If it was, you have to be an exceptional human being. And the, the men that I've met recently, not recently, but like when I was dating again, when I first got married, which is definitely a no, no. Um, they were def they were not exceptional. They were, they weren't. And I'm just like, you're reminding me of my ex right now. Please get a, get off my line. But sometimes I feel like we need to grow as a person in order to be able to see physically somebody that physically, mentally, emotionally, that somebody is exceptional. Because sometimes we do shut away the good guys and we open up to the bad guys because of the point of where we are in our lives. I think sometimes we accept what we think we deserve when we do deserve exceptional people and you do deserve an exceptional marriage and an amazing marriage. And this is something I'm not trying to con- going to convince you on that marriage is like, I don't know. I would like to be married one day. I right, like that right. idea of marriage, but when you do deal with what you've dealt with Leah, it is hard to want that right now at this moment. So I want to jump into your mental health because you are now an advocate for mental health, which is amazing. But let's talk about what you were even diagnosed with. So when I was in therapy, I think like six, seven, six, seven years ago, it was um, anxiety and depression um, and pers- a borderline personality disorder, I feel like was on the paper. This is a couple years ago, but I think that's pretty much what it said. 
was this all caused? Do you think your like anxiety and all this? Do you think it was all caused by the trauma you experienced as a child that all this diagnosis came from from the trauma? Well, I'm not really necessarily sure because sometimes you just get things genetically, but I'm quite sure the trauma didn't like. <laughs> I'm sure it didn't like help it. Uh, it didn't skip a generation. You feel like no, yeah. no. So I do believe that a lot of stuff is generational, genetic, and the trauma or lack of trauma that you received, it either causes these things to fester or to be docile. So I do believe the trauma that I have with Stain definitely caused a lot of the hardships that I went through, like mentally and physically even, because a lot of times I don't think people understand mental stress will cause you physical distress and being in New York recently has really just reminded me of that because when I get like mentally stressed or have a like a breakdown or anxiety or depression it starts to like come out in different physical ways I'll get canker sores migraines extreme fatigue where I can't even like I've had a full night's rest but I can't get out of bed and I can't stand up and or I'll get really sick so I, I think people need to start treating mental health the same as physical health because it's connected and a lot of times you're like oh yeah you're just stressed like just take a self-care day like um getting your nails painted yeah like getting your nails painted getting massage is great but that's not gonna actually help you with your daddy issues or like your boy your, your husband or boyfriend who's like acting up at home or the stress of having a job you hate that's that's just like you're just putting band-aid over like a big ass wound. So let's really get down to the bottom of like where are these outbursts or even sometimes lack of outbursts. Some people don't speak up for themselves. Like where is this coming from? And I like how you said in the book how you said like mental disorders are not limited to like certain faiths and everything like that they don't surpass color, faith, background or anything like anybody can have a mental illness. And within the Muslim community, I think we do definitely need to talk about it more. And how much have you benefited benefited from like talking to a therapist and seeing a therapist greatly like I remember the first time I had um well it wasn't the first time I had a breakdown so I had had several but just didn't know what they were because that's how much it wasn't talked about it was such a stigma on it and probably still in many communities there there are stigmas attached to it where you are a bad Muslim if you have problems or you're gonna be looked down if you're branded on the forehead by a, by a psychiatrist that you have bipolar disorder. And so it was really difficult because I kept like having breakdowns, but didn't know what they were called, didn't know how to help it. Just thought like I was just more stressed than usual. So I, I didn't do anything. Actually, when I had like, I was in college and just passed out in the shower, laid there, like letting the water hit me. Didn't know what it was. And I remember the last major one I had when I was at work in the car and I don't smoke at all. Like when I tell you, I don't smoke. I hate cigarette smoke. I don't smoke. I kept shaking when I go to work, like shaking really bad. My eye was twitching really bad. I had a canker sore on my gums. And the only thing that I can do in my break was go to the corner store, get a cigarette and like try to smoke it. And I'll be like in the car coughing. But that was the only thing that would, because I didn't know what, what, what was going on. It's going to calm me, calm my nerves before I had to go back to work. And so it would come out in weird ways like that. But when I got my therapist, I sat in front of her and I was like, you can't do anything to help me. Like, there's nothing you can say that's going to 
calls, all the things that have happened in my life to come off these shoulders. And she was like, bet. I mean, she didn't say bet, but she was basically like, okay, let's start from day one. And she slowly started to peel the layers off. And I'm just like, a lot of crying, a lot of accountability, a lot of admitting things that I thought was normal that were very toxic. And she just started to unpeel the layers. And I started to feel like a normal human being. Something that I love that you do, and I don't see a lot of people on social media do this, but you like document your anxiety attacks. You share photos that I don't think a lot of people would share, like documenting those things that you are going through. I know that it's beneficial for your um, followers to see that so they know that they're not alone when they're experiencing certain things. But how is that helping you get through that? Just by being able to like share your story. Like, so there is, this saying that I have where it is, there is healing and storytelling. And someone said, like this article a long time ago, before I got published, they said that, oh, written word is about to be dead. Nobody wants to read anything. Nobody cares. Like, it's going to be all video. It's going to be all like, you know, and storytelling has been from like the beginning of time. And it's still the same. We, we just, we, we get our information differently now, but it will never die. And so what are we using this form of storytelling? And I use mine for healing purposes. I have gotten by sharing my story and sharing certain snippets of my life, either a photo or video or like dance or just like a conversation with a follower that I meet in another state and just telling them or hearing their story. It has been such a healing experience. And each time I tell a story, it gets a little bit lighter, a little bit lighter. Because like you're 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 giving you're shedding that shame, and the book that I have coming out is an extension of that storytelling. Because Instagram won't let me write all the stuff that I want to write. <laughs> yeah, I mean I'm glad yeah. they give us more than 140 characters, yeah. but I really do I do enjoy reading your captions honestly because like even if I never went through what you went through, it's just interesting to see what other people go through and how they've combated that right. struggle and how they've dealt with that struggle. And I just see you as a very, very strong woman. And I just, I think you're so strong because you share your stories. Oh, because yeah. a lot of people suffer in silence. They deal with it on their own and whatnot, but there is a lot of healing and storytelling. You don't know how many people that may not have DM'd you, but that you have helped. Yeah, and there's also strength in telling your story. And a lot of things that I see that you post also focus around like body dysmorphia. And I know, I mean, you told us um, before that your father would comment on your body a lot and going through, you know, your husband would make, com or your ex-husband would make comments, but now you're being very open about the struggles that you have with body image. And I know this is a, a topic that a lot of our followers deal with as well, but I think just being open about it and being open about what struggles you face is just so powerful for you and the people that follow you. So like, how did you transition from being shamed about your body to owning your body and showcasing it online. Didn't happen overnight. A lot of people were like, oh, Leah Vegas like was born like that. And I'm just like, uh, no, <laughs> definitely not. I actually just posted something today on the train about the video I did yesterday, the dance video I did in like 70,000 degree weather and being super insecure the entire time. But nobody would know because I am an actress. And I like to also let people know that you can be a certain kind of way outside and be totally different inside. And people need to understand that. And it's not just me. It is the influencers people idolize who post perfect pictures every single time. 
people with a small waist and the big lips and the big boobs and the big booty also have insecurities too. They just won't tell you that. And so they're selling you this dream of the, like you can be like this every day and you cannot. Like, I don't care how gorgeous you think you look. You can't be that every day. And so it is a constant battle to look in the mirror sometimes, be like, you're the most ugliest, biggest, like, failure ever in life, to I'm doing a whole video shoot, uh, faces beat, outfit on point. And that juxtaposition is very interesting to me and also tiring. But a lot of us go through that. And so, although I'm not as bad as I used to be, because a long time ago, it was every day, all day, where I couldn't even look in the mirror for days straight because I was that ugly, to now I'm able to look in the mirror and be like, okay, you're a baddie. Whether you think you are or not, you are. So don't even do that today. Like, don't do it. And so, like, now I have, like, this extra layer of, like, my supporters, and I have, like, very good friends, and I have myself to be like, this is how you might feel, but this is definitely not true. With insecurities, body dysmorphia, all these things, it's never gonna go away. You're never gonna be like, I'm just confident every day, all the time. It will never be that way. But if you can lessen the days in which you feel like complete and utter trash, it's better. I, I like that because I mean, you're being so honest because some people are like, yeah, I felt this way about myself. I didn't like my body, but now I love who I am right. and I'm living myself, living my truth and everything. But no, we're humans. We're humans first. And we do still struggle day in and day out. There are some days you look at the mirror and you're like, I hate who I am. And sometimes I think social media has takes a toll on us because right. we do Leah see those perfect girls and everything. And I like how you brought up in the book, how there's a, like the skinny girls that do the mukbang. Like the mukbang is like when you order tons of food, tons of food yeah. and you eat it and everything, a skinny girl can get away with that. But any other heavy set girl, every, Oh my God, the comments would be trolling, trolling, like just trolling her. How do you feel about that? Like that double standard with online double standards with online influencers. Social media is such an amazing tool, but it's also very dangerous. But th that's just like same thing like currency, right? You can use your money for good or you can use it for bad. Like how, how do you want to play this? Social media is just like any other thing that we use to do other things. And social media, the good side for me, I would not be where I am right now without Instagram. I'm not even going to lie. Just like flat out. If I would have tried to do, to, do, to do this in 2013 with regular media, would have never made it even past the front door, period. That's the truth. And so I always give social media platforms the benefit of the doubt when it comes to the voices that it elevates. Because there are a lot of influencers who are very niche or not, or not cookie cutter, who are doing very well because they found their supporters, whether they're overseas or in America, like you can find, you can find your, your tribe on, on, on the internet. And a lot of us can't find our tribe in person. So the internet does that. It, it gives us that ability to reach out to somebody who we would have never seen before, or that the regular media would never give us or give the time of day to. On the other end, social media is very tiresome, even for me, who does this as an actual job and as an actual brand and it, it is my life it becomes tiresome because there's like you just said there's the double standards that okay if you're thin you are allowed to have these privileges well if you're white you're allowed to have these privileges but if you're a marginalized person or a queer person or a muslim person 
or a fat body or even a thick body. Cause I know people who are just have a little bit of meat jiggle and they're getting attacked. It's like, this is it, giving a voice to, to, to voices that need to be heard, but also giving voice to trolls and mega trolls and people who just don't understand that everybody should have a right to be represented. Everybody. And so once we kind of get out of that, and honestly, I don't think we're going to be able to get out of that. So it's just like, you have to curate your social media life. You have to curate it like, like you curate other things. I don't want these types of images in my feed because these images are triggering to me. Like I don't follow a lot of thin white women. I just don't because I see them already. I've seen them growing up and wanted to be a white, thin white woman. I don't, I don't want to do that anymore. So I'm going to have at least amount of triggering, triggering images in media as I can. But sometimes with Instagram, the algorithm, they'll push these types of images because this is what, this is what they want to push. This is like their narrative. Yeah. And it was triggering to you because as a, as a black woman, you didn't get to see many familiar faces in the media, women that look like you, that you yeah. can relate to and you can look up to. You did see the perfect white woman and us as Middle oh, Easterners. Yeah, we, we feel that as well. We did. I mean, what did we only have? Aladdin and Jasmine and they just recently yeah. ruined it. But I mean, like we didn't have, we didn't have much either, Leah. So it's like, it's hard. And when I was little, I wanted to be Hillary Duff, like, you know, the girl from Lizzie yeah. McGuire. Like I wanted to be her. She was like the perfect white girl in the school. Like, because you didn't have someone that looked like you. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. So it's like, yeah. this is why people, our listeners need to understand that you not following white women is not definitely not a racial issue. It's more so it was triggering to you growing up as a black woman in America, not feeling you were represented enough at all. But you decided to take control of everything by picking and choosing who you want to see on your page. Yeah. And by also doing the dancing video, yes, let's talk, talk about, about that, that dancing video. The first ever one that you did, because that was, I mean, amazing that you decided to like, just take control of your body, take control of who you are. And you decided to just put together a video. Where did the idea come from? So, um, the idea came from, there's other dance videos that had went kind of went viral and I've always liked dance, even when I really couldn't do dance that well. Cause I was like very sheltered and didn't know the cool dances. I didn't have that much rhythm, but then I started like watching YouTube videos and practicing and I'm just like, okay. I think I can do this. And so I used to dance at like clubs and stuff, you know, do a little two step, I, you know, not too much, just a little something, something. And I was like, Oh, I can do this. Like I like, I like to do these at parties. And then it became kind of like a rebellious act because when I was married, my ex would not like me to dance in public. He would not like me to do certain things. And so I was, so when I got divorced, I was very excited to be able to kind of reveal and, and do that. Dancing is such a form of like freedom. Like dancing to me is freedom and it is being comfortable with your body. I was like, how can I kind of kind of put these two things together? So I put on Facebook as a joke. Uh, I said, I want to be, I want to do a dance video. And all these people started like coming and commenting like, yo, that's dope. Like, I want to be in a video too. Like everyone's like really, really excited, excited about it. And I found a videographer, put some makeup on. She was like, well, how are you going to choreograph this? And I said, I'm not going to choreograph. I'm just going to dance. And she was like, okay. <laughs> I love that. It's going to freestyle it. And I was so nervous. Like I, I cause I never danced like that. And dancing regularly versus dancing in a video and how many takes you have to do is very difficult. And I didn't know that because no one told me. And so I'm just out there sweating bullets and just thinking I look really stupid and just 
very anxious about doing it. And then I released it a couple months later. You had a huge positive response from women seeing another woman feeling liberated. It was like as if you were shedding, like you said, all the layers of just like what everybody was telling you who to be and everything. You're like, no, I'm deciding to take control of my narrative. This is who I want to be. And dancing is a form of like expression and therapy and everything. How were you able, I mean, you, you knew that there was going to be some trolls, but how were you able to handle the backlash? Because people can be very disgusting and very vile online. Can you prepare yourself for that kind of backlash? Like mentally? Yeah, I already knew when I, we had the first meeting for it. I told the uh, director and the videographer, because she's not Muslim and her husband's not Muslim either. I told them like, so at the end of it, I'm like, so you're never going to get trolled, right? <laughs> like you're never going to get like a hella, hella people talking like crap about this. And they were like, why? Because they're, you know, they're, they're not Muslim. I was like, because I'm Muslim, because I'm fat, because I'm black. <laughs> they, people don't want to see that. They just want to be like, they want to see what their version of acceptable is. And all the things I just named are not acceptable to some people. So I was like, this is going to happen. What what ended up happening is when I did release it, I started getting all these um, people wanting to fly me out to like do um, talks. People wanted to do interviews, radio and stuff like that. And it went great. The most hate came from, so my friend works for a radio station in Michigan. She calls me up. She's like, I saw your video, want to do an interview with you on the radio. I said, cool, let's do it. We did the interview. We talked. 15 minutes tops, wasn't that serious. The next day when she posted it, I didn't know the radio station was connected to CBS News. And so she, I don't know who did this, but they legitimately put the my, my video in the big caption, fat, black, and Muslim, and unapologetic oh on the front page of CBS News. And so I did not know that they had did that. I thought it was just like through the radio station. So on my YouTube, I'm just like typing away, working. I start getting all the notifications on YouTube and I'm just like my YouTube is not popping like this so what's going on and so I started looking at the comments they're all like hate comments I'm like oh my god and so I was like where are these like how do they know my video and then I like linked back and it was front page of CBS News and the comments under that was nasty they started to troll my YouTube started to troll my blog my Instagram and so for two days straight I was getting like trolled heavily and basically what I did was I had to disable the notifications for YouTube and just delete and block. I was deleting and blocking for days, like two days straight. And it was very stressful because I'm just like, why are you guys so mad that I'm living in my truth? If you don't like seeing my jiggle wiggles while I'm shaking it on the camera, turn your head or turn it off. Like I would never do that to someone I, like a Trump supporter, like doing something. I don't care what you do. As long as you don't hurt people, go do that over that way. I'm not gonna be on your page yeah, Trump supporter, I hate you, and you look like this. You live your best life over there. I'm not trying to force anyone to, like, love what I do. You you, you mess with it or you don't. There's two people, two different types of people on the internet, either the ones that support you or the ones that feel like they're living that perfect life and they need to push this perfect life onto another next Muslim and try to tell you how to live and everything. I just never got those negative comments because, like, what are you gaining yeah. by typing out these words? Like, what are you gaining? What? How does it benefit your life to like tear someone else down? I just don't get it. Especially somebody like you, Leo, who has dealt with mental health issues. Did this take a huge toll on you other than it being stressful that you had to delete and block and whatnot? How much of a toll did these nasty comments take on you? It definitely started taking a toll. 
because people started seeing the comments and was send them to me. And my friends and family started to like try to battle the, battle the trolls because they were like mad because they were talking about me on the internet. And I kept telling them, please don't, just don't talk to them, leave them alone because they want to argue. They want attention, just don't say anything. And so it just was, it got stressful because everyone seemed to be in turmoil. And the point of the video was not for that. It was to empower, to get people to be okay with seeing a different kind of beauty standard. And I don't think you can ever prepare yourself for troll comments or hate. And unfortunately, and that, that's a very question that you just asked because I, I've been asking like friends and stuff when my book comes out officially, I'm probably going to get trolled and hate probably 20 times more than I ever have because this is going to be, this is like, this is a, like my book will be sold not only in the United States, but like Canada, Europe, and probably uh, it'll probably be all over. And so I, there's no really, really no way to prepare yourself for the hatred that you get for telling your truth. There's really no, there's no preparing for it. You just take it as it comes. But I think if you're confident in what you're writing and what you're putting out there, then it's worth the hate because if you're satisfied with, the information in the book then it's like who cares and who have you become as a woman too because not everybody no matter what stage in life you are in people are not always going to agree with you so guess what just live your best life and your best truth and let like you said let them live their life over there and you live your life wherever you are and just focus on you this is a great segue to your book which is called unashamed musings of a fat black muslim and I just want to know, when did you decide to write this book? I know you're a writer at heart. I know, I know you've written other books, but this is finally the first book that has gotten published. But what made you decide to speak all of your truth in this book, knowing that you're going to get the backlash that you're going to get? Well, I didn't write this book uh, for reasons of publishing, which is really weird because the other three books I had, which are not memoir at all, they're um, young adult fiction. I wrote those three for publishing. One is trash, but well, well, the other two, <laughs> the, the other two can be like edited to like get, you know, ha- find a home somewhere. But this book was basically, my mom was being very mean and it was coming from her physical decline, also her mental decline. I had just got divorced, like literally three months. I didn't have insurance anymore. I didn't have the, the, the cushy flight benefits. My rent wasn't getting paid. I had to move back to Detroit. So I was like in kind of like a, um, like just like a working town, but it wasn't Detroit. I had to uproot my entire life and didn't know, I had two master's degrees, no job, no nothing. And so I was very, very mad. Like I was angry. And instead of sitting and stewing in my own misery, which is what it was and depression and guilt, and shame I was just like wait who are you like what what are you and the answer I came up with was I am stories I am words my stories my words my narrative even when I was a very young girl always saved me that, that that's the only thing in my life that is constant it's the only thing in my life that has kept me out of jail has kept me sane and the only thing I can depend on are my stories and my words. That's something that will never leave me until like I get dementia or something and can't. And even then, I probably would love stories and words. Let's hope and that so, doesn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do, I do my puzzles. But I had to answer myself that that's the answer I came up with. And so I was like all the pain, anger, trauma, everything. I want to put this into a document. And that's 
going to be what I'm going to do in order to grieve, in order to heal. And so every day I would like, my, my roommate would go to work. He was, he's a teacher. I would sit at the table, look out the window, have my laptop set up. And I would just type stories, just type stories. And I would cry, take a nap, get up, type stories, cry, take a nap, buy some food, get some <laughs> snacks. And I would do it every single day for three months until I had a whole book. It was your own form of therapy. Yeah. So the book really did start as like diary entries and then became a book, right? Like you kind of like dove into it. This, this is my diary. I'm going to put all my feelings out on this page in order for my, to get myself to feel better. Yeah, that was mostly what it was. And I think two of the stories I had wrote about like my mom and stuff were from a master's program because they wanted me to write about my family or whatever. And then some of them are blog posts turned into like more like long form essay. That's amazing, though. Like not a lot of people even know that you have a, you do. You have a double master's in creative writing and publishing. So That's awesome. through all the trauma, everything that you have faced, you've stuck it out when it came to school, even like living in such poverty, because not everybody's privileged to have a full ride scholarship to schools or anything like that. You still stuck it out and you made sure to get the, the double masters. And that's awesome, like in creative writing and publishing and I read your book from front to back and I really, really enjoyed it. And I think the, the main reason why I enjoyed it is because of how authentic you were and how real it felt. Like I literally felt like I was just sitting there with a girlfriend and she's telling I'm me her talking, life story. Yeah. And it was just very genuine, very just natural. And it flowed so beautifully. And there's so many different stories. Like when it comes, again, our episode, we talk about a lot of things, but you go really into depth, into details when it comes to your marriage, your divorce, your relationship with your dad, your mom. And I think if people don't haven't gone through like exactly what you've been through, they can still find moments in this book that they can relate to in their own ways. And I think that's so important. And how she's overcome yes, your own struggles. Yes. It's it, we can maybe we don't ha share the same hardships, but we can at least see piggyback on how e each one of us overcomes our struggles, right. and we can use that within our own. Before we let you go, what advice do you have for listeners when it comes to like shutting out all the negativity and hate from others, um, how to reclaim your own narrative and becoming inspired to be themselves? I think that I've always been in here and in, in my in my soul. I've always been a, a little bit of a rebel. I feel like I always had a rebel spirit. I've just allowed people, I've allowed society, I've allowed what people think a Muslim should look like, what they think fat girls should do and say and dress like, what people think black girls should do. I've allowed that to dim my light. And I always tell people, they all, we each have light inside of us, right? We all have like that spark. It might not be a full flame, but you do have a spark inside of you. And I feel like when, when, I, when I look at women or individuals that inspire me, I look to, I look to see if they have a spark or a flame. And a lot of people that I follow, they inspire me so much and, and they, they got the flame going. So I look at their words, I look at their content, I, I talk to them in person and that ignites mine and makes it grow. And I feel like we all have to pay it forward, right? In, in order to live un unapologetically, you have to you have to already like understand you have that, that, that flame in there. It just might be dimmed a little bit because people have beat you down or people have said certain things about what they think you should do in life. And that's not fair. And but people are going to do it anyway. So now that you know this information that people are out here that are going to try to dim you and make you feel bad for wanting to, to thrive in your truth, you have to make that decision. Do I want to live for others or do I want to live for myself? 
by no means am I going to say that that is easy to do. I have lost a whole ass husband. I've lost my mom at a certain point. We've reconnected, but you get what I mean. I've lost friends that I've had for decades. I've lost jobs and I've lost time and I've lost money to live in my truth. And I want people to understand that once you go down that path of like, I'm living for myself and other people, it is not going to be easy. But I will tell you that it's very rewarding. I wish to give that to other people, that gift of living in your truth. Because on the other side of fear is greatness. Some people, I feel like, live their life based on what they think other people would like to see them. them. Yeah. Yeah. But you're but to living... stick to yourself, to stick to who you truly are, that's so important. Just to be happy. Yeah. Like you're not going to achieve happiness if you're constantly acting like you're somebody else. Yeah, we definitely want you to keep doing you, Leah, yes. because we definitely appreciate you. Two girls from Chicago. I'm pretty sure there's many <laughs> millions of others that do. Yes. Um, where can our listeners find you when it comes to your social media handles, your blog or anything like that, just so they can connect with you? Yeah, so I just, I'm launching, well, trying to launch a I'm trying to be a girl boss inshallah. and I'm just <laughs> yes inshallah I definitely I just launched leahvernon.com um which is going to be more of like books tours I'm going to be doing um more public speaking so I want to come to different organizations and stuff like that so leahvernon.com is where I'm going to be offering more of the business side of things and then if you want to get a little messy and follow me on my shenanigans Instagram, which is lvernon2000. And then I have also my blog, which is beautyinthemuse.net, where you can see um, YouTube videos and some pictures I take because I like fashion and style too. So yeah, those are the the three places you can find me, leahvernon.com, at lvernon2000, and beautyinthemuse.net. And And honestly, our followers will never be like bored just going through your social media because like it's so entertaining and I love it so much. You know, people used to be in the day where they'd write the short captions and whatever, something simple. But I really do read your entire caption. It's not a long caption, Leah. When it's so (laughs) captivating, you don't think it's long. It's like, wow, like I love it. And you and I like because you try to engage with your with your followers. Like that's what a social media platform is all about is engaging, not just posting. That's it. Done. Whatever. So. Keep doing what you're doing, girl, because you're doing an amazing job. Uh, hopefully one day we get to see you on a billboard. You never yes. know, honestly. You're definitely a dreamer, and you're an achieving dreamer, too. So thank you, girl. Thank you. Thank you. See ya. Welcome to our Unfiltered Afterthoughts. I loved her. She has such an incredible personality and, like I said, very eccentric. And even though she's gone through so much trauma in her life, she's still able to, like, come out on top and, like, still hold on to, like, her personality, which is, like I said, bubbly, light person. And this is why I love sharing these stories because sometimes, like, when you see the hardships of others, you really, like, appreciate the hardships that God has given you where they don't compare to not having, like, a mom and a dad figure in your life or uh, parents that don't support you or anything like that. That's really hard to deal with, dealing with things, like, almost on your own kind of a feel. And I love how honest she is about everything. You know, she talks about, like we said, her anxiety very publicly. And she documents, like, you know, day two of my anxiety attack, day three, and this is what I'm going through. And I feel like... Being that real on social media where a lot of the times the people we follow aren't being so authentic is so important in a day where like everyone seems picture perfect. It does. And I, that's why she was talking about like she's like, 
you look at me in this picture. I look confident. My makeup is popping. My clothes are on point. Like but then she writes a description of what she really felt that it day. It tells an entirely different story. I and like, I love that she posts about like her cellulite and her jiggly arms. And I feel like that's also so important because a lot of people are like, you know, photoshopping their photos and using these crazy apps to make themselves look so different than what they really look like. And she's like, no, like I have cellulite. My arms jiggle when I dance. Like this is what it is. She's owning her truth. Yeah. And I, it makes me realize, like look back at myself and like, it's okay to sometimes not have good days. It's okay to not have a picture perfect Instagram. Sometimes it's okay to like miss deadlines, fail at things and whatnot. Life is all, life is just one huge obstacle filled with many little obstacles. And And it's never going to be perfect. Yeah. And imagine like, this is just one person that's doing this. Imagine like if everyone was this honest and open on social media I think it would be a lot more healthy and not dwelling on everything that goes bad in your life because like this girl wrote a book like to go through so much traumatic things like that but to like you know what no I'm good I'm literally gonna take control of my life I'm gonna dance on a video showcase it to the world I'm gonna write a book I'm gonna talk about my mental health publicly everything like that's where I wish we can all be like where we can not dwell on our hardships but learn from them and learn from them exactly and that's what it's all about so I enjoyed her episode a lot. I think a lot of people can take away a lot from this episode. Yeah. And we will definitely tag her Instagram handle and everything because I highly commend that you guys do follow her. I usually don't follow influencers or whatever, yeah. but she's a true influencer and that has influenced us in some way. And Zane and I, we, we always read her captions and we really oh, yeah. like share them. Look, oh, you know what? I like what she said here. This is so true and everything. So I thought it was necessary to have a different perspective on islam and being a muslim in today's america from a black muslim woman who, who is a convert as yes, well. yes she is a convert who's dealt with a lot of trauma in her life so really hope you guys enjoyed the episode as always subscribe leave us some feedback and review we love some five-star reviews zayna loves her five stars I love you guys five star reviews so if you like zayna give us some five stars <laughs> even if you don't like me please i know leave we, a five would, star. we would definitely love it so hope to see you guys next week inshallah bye